Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello and thanks for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, HSG, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today um, we are going to have Seth and BJ on. Um, Seth and BJ are, are going to start doing a monthly show with me. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, uh, what we're doing in the HD community and um, and um, what we're calling Accelerate HD. Um, so we'll, we'll be doing a monthly show for everybody, getting updates and kind of just sharing our thoughts on that and keeping you guys involved in, in what we're doing um, and being as transparent transparent as possible. So um, I have Seth and BJ with me today. Let me go ahead and unmute here. Hi, are you with me? Yeah, I'm here. I don't, I, I, hopefully hey. BJ is here as well. <laughs> Not yet, but that's okay. I'm sure he'll join us. So we've got Seth on with us. Um and while we're waiting on BJ, actually, Seth, what I'm going to have you do, um, I want you to give a little bit of background as to why what we're doing, why this Accelerate HD is so important to you. Sure thing. Uh, I'll do my best. And I, I'm excited that we're going to make this more of a recurring theme because I think it's so important these days. And to kind of go off of our our last show, for me, I think the challenges that I've seen in, in the HD community have varied over the years, but what I've also learned is that my mom was diagnosed 16 years ago, and I think, at least from my experience, when you first learn about it, of course, it's tough and it's difficult, but then you're given this little piece of hope saying, there's going to be an, a, tr- a treatment around the corner. There's going to be a treatment around the corner. And to me, I kept hearing that over the years, and now 16 years later, there isn't that treatment, right? There's not that thing that's going to slow down Huntington's disease. Now, that being said, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of companies in the pharmaceutical biotech space that are working in HD a lot more than when I first learned about it. But I think the big thing is I tested positive about 11 years ago when I was 20 years old. And now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to think about my future while also trying to live in the present moment. But I've been thinking more about my future and saying, wow, I'm getting closer to that time where I, I may be developing symptoms or because of data that we've seen, I may already have these changes going on in my brain because we know that we can 
we can identify these changes 15 to 20 years before clinical onset. So now I'm kind of panicking, and I think that's kind of where my mind goes is, you know, talking with you, Lauren, talking with BJ, talking with other community members of how do we accelerate it because the goal of, of a treatment is to slow down Huntington's disease or to halt the disease in its tracks. But in order to do that, then we need to be treating as early as possible, which means we shouldn't be waiting until we're clinically diagnosed because by that point it's too late. And so how do we change the way we look at it? I know that there's been work going on with we have a face on the diagnostic criteria, but I think it's also how do we look at it from a data perspective of saying we have all this data through, you know, uh, predict slash prevent HD, track HD, enroll HD, Clarity is now doing things, among other studies, and yet I feel like we're still at a, a point in time where it's like, okay, how do we now look at the changes going on in the body so that people like myself can make that decision of should I participate or not uh, prior to showing symptoms. So that's a long-winded answer, but that's kind of, I think, the motivation of saying how do we accelerate it so we find preventative treatments in that pre-symptomatic stage of HD. Right, Um, and I love that you shared all of that because one of the things that we've learned as we've um, had conversations and we've um, talked with researchers and I think every step of the way in what we've done so far is we've learned that um, that you need to get it as early as possible and that this idea of pre-symptomatic is silly because a clinical diagnosis is a point that's too late, right? It's a point where you're already showing movement, but we know that we are, are already having changes in the brain before those movements before that clinical diagnosis. So why are not why are we not being diagnosed earlier and not including that in clinical trials um, because of this mindset that these pre-symptomatic people aren't being affected, right? They can't participate in clinical trials because they don't have the disease currently, but we do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's where I think in every single conversation that we've had, that's what we've seen. Everybody, all these researchers are saying, yeah, we need uh, pre-symptomatic. We need all of these people in this. But we keep getting this pushback. And what we hear a lot about is kind of this old mindset with FDA and others um, about, you know, having people who are, quote, unquote, pre-symptomatic participating in clinical trials. And there's so much stuff there's so much research out there about, mm-hmm. um, you know, ways that you can look to see if um, if anything's changed. MRIs, right, for an example. Um, you can see the changes in the brain. So why aren't we utilizing those things um, to be able to include pre-symptomatic or pre-manifest um, in clinical trials? And not only that, but the other part of, of all of this that I've gotten is just that we lack resources as pre-symptomatic or pre-manifest because everybody sits there and thinks, well, they're not symptomatic. So so we have in our heads that this is a light switch, right? Like we're waiting for that light switch. 
we're waiting for that moment of, oh, my gosh, I'm showing symptoms to be able to get any help, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be more of that preventive, um, you know, and and helping, like, the mental health services and things like that. That's the other big piece that I've taken from it um, and, and all these conversations that we've had. Um, yeah, and, no, I, I, definitely, I, I definitely agree with you, Lauren. And what I would say is, you know, you're right that there – there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of different studies going on, but I think the one challenge that I've seen is like, okay, you have everyone kind of doing their own thing and we're not, I'm not going to say we aren't collaborating, but we could always improve the way we collaborate so that we have academia, we have researchers, we have pharma, we have nonprofits, we have community members, right? But yet we're not doing what I'm going to call a Thanksgiving dinner where we come together and discuss this and say, okay, what are the big challenges? Right. And I think, yes, it's a lot easier to, to say, okay, well, we need to offer trials to pre-symptomatic pre-manifest patients. But of course with the FDA, they're saying, well, we need to see changes using this treatment. We need to see changes in a timely manner. And I get that part of it, but then it's like, well, why not kind of offer this if we have ways to see these changes and to measure them, right? We have, like you said, an MRI, or I saw a HD Buzz article, I think, earlier this week about a PET scan, or we have neurofilament light chain, right? And I think that's the big thing is we have these mechanisms. We just have to implement them, but also discuss it of saying, like you said, is what are the needs of a pre-symptomatic patient, right? Is it that mental health? Is it, hey, I need a social worker during the trial, or, hey, I need to be told that I'm still healthy, right? I think that's a big thing that I'm learning is, and it happened to me, and maybe, Lauren, you can agree or disagree, but in, like, my enroll study, right, I go once a year, but I'm always, like, I got to get those colors right, and I got to do it better, the red, yellow, blue, right? Or I got to get make yep. sure that, I say enough enough letters that begin with an A, and if I don't, oh, does this, this mean I'm declining? And I think that's a challenge, too, is how do we make sure to reassure people, hey, like, even people without HD may not <laughs> do well on these tests. Yes, I agree with that 100%. I am I am very much that person who I go in there and I'm like, okay, I've got to get so many right, I've got to do it in a certain time frame, and if I don't you know, if I can't think of words, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world because that means I must be having problems with my brain or couldn't be that I had problems sleeping the night before or I'm lacking caffeine or, you know, anything else going on in my life. Totally. Um, it's, you know, it has to be that it's, it's the HD, which is silly. Um, but you're right. That's what we do um, because what else do we have? You know, we we haven't been told really that okay, this is you know people um, people struggle like regular normal people without HD struggle with this. Um, so I think that totally. that's a huge um, huge thing. But I also think um, yeah, I think that that's an area that we could um, absolutely improve on. Um, but I also think that's where, like, those neuropsych testing things and establishing a baseline and, 
going to a yearly um, visit or maybe every two years or whatever, but you establish a, a baseline with our neuropsych and then have those visits regularly to know if you have any deficits, right? To know if there are any changes. Um, that's something Absolutely. that that's something that pre-symptomatic people don't even think about because it was never offered to us. It's never something that's been brought up. And like that, the only way I found out about it is because I I asked about what I could do for a baseline, and mm-hmm. um, and I had a neurologist tell me, "Here, I'll set you up with somebody." And that is the only reason I know anything about it. So why aren't we told about this as pre-symptomatic, pre-manifest um, people? Why are we not told that we can do this? Um, Great question. I, I don't. I mean, and just to add on to that, you know, what, what's interesting, and you kind of got me thinking, is, you know, I go see a neurologist once a year for my enroll study, right? And now, I I think H D neurologists are amazing people, and it's not a it's not a uh, a knock on them. But they're seeing me once a year, right? And then they're supposed to figure out, have I seen changes in Seth? Have I seen different differences in Seth from this one-year mark? And I, I would imagine most of the answers, most of the time, it's no. So how do we change that also to then get our kind of community perspective involved in these companies working in HD so that they understand these challenges that you mentioned or, or understanding a neuropsych test because right. I think we need to do a better job measuring it throughout the year. Right. Because right. at the end of the day, right, Lauren, like if I'm going once a year, they may see one thing, but it could be, I had an off off week cause I had a stressful work week or I was moving or, or whatever. And that could cause, and it's like, Oh, okay. That's not HD related. That's just typical life. work stress or life. Yes, exactly. Versus if I'm, Imagine if there's, again, an app or whatever, like just a way to measure it where you can say, oh, wow, I noticed some changes because I'm doing this every, taking this test every two to three months or something. So I think that's another thing. And then it comes down to like, which I think we've kind of talked about briefly before, is like kind of this power dynamic in, in that we kind of see from, a, you know, understanding that we're not just patients, like we're I call it subject matter experts where people who, you know, know HD just as well, or we know ourselves just as well. And so when we provide insight or feedback, it's, it's not just brushing it off and saying, cool, cool, Seth, cool, Lauren, like, thanks for that. But we're going to go a different direction. It's actually saying, Hey, okay, tell me more, tell me more about what we can do to work together. And I think that's just right. kind of something we need to start addressing is how how do we work together? How do we also activate the HD community to, you know, do more than just, say, fundraising per se, but, hey, I'm going to go share my story, but not just that, but then take a step further and say, hey, we want to go talk to these companies or, hey, we want to go advocate about, you know, how do we speed up urgency for treatment or how do we make sure that there's treatment options for pre-symptomatic patients? Yep, absolutely. These are all things 
<clears throat> that have led to what we're doing, these conversations, and um, they've been great conversations and things that, you know, we need people in the HD community to get involved with, um, you know, because we can't do it ourselves. Um, so that's, you know, again, why we're having these these monthly shows, because um, we want to share these thoughts with everybody, and we want to share updates with everybody of where we've, you know, come with all of this. Um, and I actually want to, I want to switch it a little bit. Seth, and let me ask you, um, what has been a, a memorable moment for you since we began this whole journey of Accelerate HD? Well, one, and I, I promise I'm not, I'm not uh, saying this just because you're on the show, but I think just you and I've become, I think, closer, uh, you know, and, and I've appreciated having a talk with, with you about these thoughts and ideas versus is this just me kind of all in my head or is this something that is a need? I know, you know, BJ and I have had these discussions in the past, but hearing it also from you uh, has been a little validating. So I, I do want to say that <laughs> first off. But oh, thank you. I think what was – there's been a couple memorable parts. I think the big thing is when we started speaking with different – stakeholders in the community and understanding, you know, what are some of the bottlenecks and understanding, oh, is this a, an issue, you know, with one specific stakeholder, such as like the pharmaceutical space, or is it, you know, academia, is it researchers, is it just, what is it? And I think it just, you know, that light bulb was, okay, how do we advocate uh, to the FDA who might be that, you know, who's essentially that decision maker for, whether or not a treatment does get approved or whether or not, right. um, you know, someone can potentially go into a trial based off of criteria. And I think that's been like the big aha moment of that piece of it. In addition to just standing like really that as, as much as I have hope, like if we don't change this narrative to working with more urgency and activating the community, I don't think it's going to be, you know, as much as I, I'm not, don't want to come off as negative or pessimistic. It's not going to be in time for me. And I think that's right. where by having these conversations on here, having conversations on social media and just within the HD space will hopefully make others say, Oh, oh crap. Like that could also be me. Like I need to do something now. I need to get my story out there. Hey, I need to get involved. And and I think that's kind of what's been the big, like, moment for me is saying, okay, like, I don't want it to be too late. I saw my mom go through it for 17 years. I've seen friends go through it, and, and they, you know, unfortunately passed away. And and I don't want that to be me because that's that's just be too tough. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you completely. It's really hard to sit there and go, oh, my gosh, I'm in my 30s, and it, there may not be something for me when we've been hoping for so long, right? And to to have to sit there and, and actually try to tell ourselves it's, it's not going to be there for us is um, tough. It's very tough. Um, and that sense of urgency is so there. And I think that, I think that we tend to kind of get, 
lost in the mix, right? Like nobody Mm -hmm. thinks about our urgency as those in that portion of we've, (laughs) we've known about HD for years now and we've, we've been big advocates in the community and we've done the fundraising and we've done, um, you know, going to DC and we've done all of these things in the hopes that there's going to be something for us because people are going to step up. And now we're at a point where it's literally like right around the corner for us. And, and it feels like we're not where we need to be. So it's scary. It's um, heartbreaking, right? Like it's all another type of grief that we feel. And then it also drives that urgency and, and I think drives that need to share our stories and to um, to figure out how to make it speed up. And I am so grateful you and um, BJ reached out to me um, and, you know, brought me in for these conversations and made me a part of this um, because not only have I built my friendships um, with you guys, but it's really just given me a purpose that I've lost since my dad. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for, for all that you guys have done um, for me personally and all that you've done to drive this because you were willing to speak up. Yeah, uh, not a problem at all, Lauren. And I think that's the thing is like, if, right, if not me, then who? That kind of, I don't know who actually said that quote, or maybe I misquoted the quote, but that's just how I see it is I've always been someone who wants to just help others, but also realize that I'm just one person. And to be honest, like, I, you know, I, I think my story is one thing, but hearing it from many people like you, it, it makes it even more impactful and more important and, and has that sense of urgency. So I'm glad that, you know, I don't know. I think we just caught up or something. And then I, I was like, you know what, let me, let me try to loop her in. And luckily you, uh, you said yes. But what, what is your, <laughs> I guess, most memorable moment based off of our I've conversation? A, yeah, I've got a few, but um, so I think the most memorable for me recently would be that this kind of led me to um, HD cap, which will be on the show um, coming up to talk about what HD cab is, but it's the um, Huntington's disease community advisory board. And I was invited to be on um, a call with PTC therapeutics and I was on that call and I started crying because it was such a historical moment to see all of these people impacted by HD from all over the world, right? Like they're from, it's a global advisory board and we're talking to a pharmaceutical company about why you like the importance of um, doing clinical trials and doing it in pre-symptomatic people. And it was just so overwhelming to see all of these people together 
you know, because we were doing it via Zoom so you could see their faces, you have their names, you you know, and it's just such a historical moment for me. Um, and had we not started all of this, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be a part of that. And so um, for me, that's probably been the most recent just big moment um, and most memorable um, that's stuck in my mind. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I'm so happy that you got involved with that. And also just, I'm sure it was like those happy tears hearing or, or seeing at least that a company is trying to work in this pre-symptomatic population. I know a few others are trying to work in it too. And yeah, it's going to take time. Right. But I I think the way I see it, Lauren, is, you know, I was looking into the BRCA gene and how that works and seeing that if someone tests positive for it, they're given options to help prevent from getting breast cancer. Exactly. Similar. And I feel like how do we do something similar? Again, totally different condition, but how do we do something similar where it's, okay, you test positive for Huntington's disease and here are your potential options. You know, I think it needs to be, you know, the expectations of a trial is one thing, but also understanding what it means to participate, that commitment to it, and the difference you're you're making to help advance research. So I I think these are things we just need to kind of continue to, to talk about, to educate others about the importance of research importance of just asking questions if you don't know something or if you're interested in learning or self-advocating, right? If, if for some reason with the trial, they say, okay, your commitment is, you know, uh, every two months, you know, being upfront and honest saying, well, okay, that's great, but we need to work around my schedule because I also have kids or, you know, traveling to and from the site, I need reimbursement. And getting that up front, and I think these are things that companies need to think about in pre-symptomatic uh, populations because we work full-time. You know, some of us have kids, right? You need, uh, you know, a babysitter or, or some type of care, uh, care. And these are things that I just think needs to be addressed ahead of time so that you're not coming in once a month because that ends up being 12 days. And if you only have 15 PTO days, you're like, okay, now I have three days to like just take care of me. I can't even go on like a vacation. So right. these are just, I think, things that need to be addressed ahead of time prior to the trial design of uh, whatever the company is, is working on. Absolutely. Um, okay. And I've got one last question for you before we sign off for today. So is there something that you've learned through this that you did not know before? Uh, Good question. (laughs) I think, I think I I knew how difficult it's going to be about, you know, trying to accelerate research in the HD space. I, I don't think I was aware that it was going to be like, hey, we got to get the FDA bought into this as well. Like I knew that there would be a part of it, but 
hearing from different stakeholders all saying, well, we need the FDA to hear us. We need the FDA to be involved. That was something I, I wasn't quite aware of. And so now it's kind of like, okay, they're the, they're like the top, top dog, the top target that we need to, um, you know, just talk to and figure this out. And, but more importantly, Lauren, I think it's also working together. So it's not just say, you know, the community doing one thing, academia is doing another, researchers doing another, patient advocacy organizations doing another, pharma is doing another. It's like, how do we, again, all come together for that Thanksgiving dinner and have a, a, a deep dive discussion to then say, okay, here's the strategy and here's how we're going to tackle it. And here's each of our roles within this. And I think that's what's going to make this actually excel a lot faster is by working together and, you know, again, I'm not here. I don't, I don't need it, need credit. I don't want credit. I don't, I'd rather do it behind the, behind the scenes. And I think that's how we also have to look at it from all these different stakeholders to saying, Hey, let's, let's make sure we, you know, work together and, you know, we're all going to be recognized in some capacity, but the goal is to find a treatment and the goal is to find it in time. Yep, absolutely. But we will end there today. Um, so we'll be doing these shows monthly, um, just kind of giving updates on where we stand, on what um, we're doing in the future. I know that there is already talk about um, about um, getting a meeting with the FDA and um, and all of that. So we will be talking about that in the future. I also want to mention for the shows for this month, um, we are going to have um, the HD Community Advisory Board show um, to kind of go into what they are and the things that they're doing. Um, they're actually like doing quite a bit. I'm very happy to see a huge at-risk and um, pre-symptomatic population on there. So um, really cool discussions coming from that. And we'll also have updates, kind of a 2021 recap from uh, Katrina and Katie at the end of the month, um, uh, you know, to finish out 2021. The amazing things that um, Help for HD has done this year because, um, you know, we've got some programs going on right now, such as Help for the Holidays um, and where they, you know, give out money for um for presents or they actually go and buy presents that um, have been requested. Um, and they do that not only for an HD family, but for JHD as well. So those are discussions that are coming up. We'll also be looking towards the um, symposium, which will have a very strong JHD uh, part of it this time around. It's actually the first time that there will be a symposium with such a big JHD um, component to it. Like they have their own day, they have their own speakers and everything. So uh, we'll be going into that as well. But I want to thank you, Seth, for coming on today. We'll make sure next time that, that BJ comes on and we bug him. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, and, no, no worries. No worries. <laughs> and next time, and in the meantime, guys, you should – probably feel a little sorry for Seth because he has to deal with me and BJ uh, mentioning kids all the time and 
And um, poor thing, he's like probably just doesn't want him at this point. Um, so you guys keep him in mind as we uh, as we continue these conversations and until we have the next show, because uh, I'm sure that he's just tired of hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> listen, you, I, I I love kids. I think they're amazing. But then it's just funny hearing from you, both of you being like, ah, oh, I got kid duty or I got to do this. And I'm like, man, maybe I should just stick with dogs and just call it a day. But, <laughs> you know, that it's just too funny. But uh, I'm I'm excited, you know, for the next show. Also, like, you know, shout out to Helper HD for what you all, you know, are doing in the HD community and the symposiums coming up as well and the holiday uh, kind of give back. I love it. I love it all. So, you know, I, I really just appreciate what you all are doing to make a difference. Time. Love you guys and take care. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.helpforhd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.